Hello and welcome to another There Are Giants podcast with me, your host, Roger Munter, host of all things There Are Giants. Um, very excited for today's show. I've wanted to do this for a while now. Uh, my guest today has probably the coolest title in all of baseball, at least from <laughs> my perspective. Uh, Lance Prostowski is a player development analyst for Marquee Sports Network, the Chicago Cubs Sports Network. Uh, so yes, he gets to talk about player development to a major league audience, which I just think is so exciting. In addition to which, his YouTube channel is a treasure trove of not just player analysis, but really a window into how front offices think about development today. So I'm so excited to have you on. Lance, how are you doing? How is your offseason going? It's good. I, I feel like you nailed that synopsis of the YouTube, so I appreciate that praise there. Um, that was good. That was, that was exactly what I want people to to kind of take away from viewing some of my stuff. So um, I'm excited. It, it's been it's been a good off season. I'd say it's been a little bit slow, um, but I think that's okay. I don't mind kind of the seasonal nature of things where it's a little slow, and then you have fun blips here and there with trades and whatnot and and otherwise. But uh, but yeah, it's been good. Thanks for having me. It'll ramp up soon. Yeah, I mean, you're. I always keep an eye on what's going up on your YouTube channel, and it can be just like, here's what pitcher X is doing with his pitch shapes. It can be really granular. Uh, but what, uh, the reason I brought you on was a couple of videos you did, I think in December, uh, that were much more broad scoped, uh, using kind of insider uh, industry data to kind of look at big picture, what are organizations doing. What does data reveal about what they're thinking um, down to, you know, pitch level specificity and what are they good at? Um, and I'm going to link to both of those programs in the show page. I really suggest anybody listening today watches both of those in their entirety. You didn't specifically talk about the Giants in those videos, uh, but if, you know, watchers like me make copious use of the pause button, you did uh, <laughs> screen share a spreadsheet that had a lot of really valuable information in it. So again, I, I would recommend people watch those because he got into a lot of stuff that we won't have time to cover here. So I wanted to bring you on to really dig into what the Giants are doing, what they're trying to do, what you can see from uh, from the data on your end, uh, and just um, have some fun talking Giants development. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start hitting, um, uh, which maybe isn't the best place to start with the Giants, but it was the video that caught my eye first. Uh, I want to dig into the hitting side. Um Interestingly, the, the clubs you did highlight do have a lot of similar, I think, philosophical things going on with the Giants, uh, maybe different levels of success. But let me just toss you a, a jump ball first. What's catching your eye in the data you look at? What is catching your eye as just general observations about what the Giants are trying to do on the hitting side? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because I, I put this whole exercise together as a way to kind of get exactly what you were saying, like a really broad 50,000 foot view of things which I don't think anybody really does primarily because this data isn't really public. So I'm able to get it yeah. from an individual in another organization, which I'm super grateful for. Um, I just, I'm waiting for it to become public and then my job will be gone because it's just it's a matter of time. I think before people kind of get into this stuff and, and honestly, baseball as a whole advances when information that previously wasn't public becomes public. Because then you have people who grind to figure out their own models on things. And then that informs individuals and organizations who maybe aren't willing to allocate resources to a particular item or whatnot. So in the Giants specifically on the hitting side, I didn't see, I thought they were more kind of average and everything. I actually had to look back because when <laughs> I did this project, I like looked at everything and I was like, who just stands out good or bad? And then maybe are there some odd teams that are more average? And that's basically the teams that I spoke about in that video. So the Giants were a team 
looking back, that just kind of landed average on a lot. They're pretty average on all like contact rate statistics or what I call like almost swing decisions. So how much they're swinging, how much in the zone are they swinging, how much outside of the zone are they swinging, how much are they swinging and missing. Everything was kind of around average there for me. And then they ended up slightly above average on contact percent, which I think is good relative to how much they're swinging, right? Like there's another team, I, I think it's the Cardinals who, or Cardinals and Marlins both swing a ton and make a ton of contact, but the quality of the contact isn't great. So that raises questions as to like, what exactly are they valuing? Are they just valuing ball and play without regard for the quality of the ball and play? So the Giants in particular, I thought averaged out pretty good. And then going from that swing decision tier to more of like what happens once you make contact, which you could call like batted ball results, you start to dig into more, you know, exit velocity, 90th percentile exit velocity, max exit velocity. And then you look at some expected statistics, excuse me, like XWOBA, which is kind of a valuation statistic on the offensive side for run production and X slug. So basically looking at like underlying batted ball nature, like exit velocity, launch angle, what's that batted ball going to be? And they ended up, again, slightly around average to slightly below average. Um, they don't hit the ball incredibly hard. And as a result of that, I think their their contact quality metrics are more average. So my unfortunate answer here is that <laughs> we're just kind of average. I don't think it's a bad thing per se. Like – it's not like some of the other organizations that are well below average. I think it's easier probably to compound and become plus from average than it is from being where let's say like the White Sox and the Angels are. So that's kind of my general takeaway. We get into more specifics, but I thought they were relatively average on a, on a variety of the metrics that I was kind of poking around at. Well, I, I do want to say that I hope your job does not go away when this stuff becomes data uh, public. In fact, I'm hoping that you're the tip of the spear and someday like every <laughs> uh, organization and, and media will have somebody like you. Um, so when I was watching that, so the two teams, uh, you focused on in the top in that hitting, uh, video were the Mariners and the Yankees for very different reasons. Um, the Yankees, because they destroyed sliders, the Mariners, because they have a very passive, uh, what you can call a passive approach that leads to extremely high on base percentage. We know from just Many, many things Farhan Zaidi has said over the last few years and the many, many transactions between these two clubs that the Giants and Mariners have a lot of similar base values, uh, core values in their organizations. What caught my eye when I was watching that video is the Giants were fairly close to the Yankees in terms of success against sliders. I believe they had the highest slugging in the minors last year and the second highest behind the Yankees on expected slugging against sliders against fastballs though they were much much more passive and their success rates in terms of exit velocity data was much much lower and i think that's what caught my eyes i, I think they mm. want to be something like seattle but they weren't having anything like the success their on-base percentage was fairly low and overall the kind of exit velocity batted ball data um wasn't showing up. So I want to get into that divide of how they approach sliders and fastballs a little bit. And maybe I'll just, just start with the, the, the Seattle side of this equation. Are they trying to do something like what Seattle is doing and just not having the success or are they not quite that far? Um, Cause Seattle does do some oddball things on both sides of their development program. Yeah. Um, I think they have similar philosophies to seattle but they aren't really manifesting themselves but to see them hit the sliders the way they did in in your data it did pop out at me um yeah 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, the Mariners are odd. They're, they're just kind of an outlier in both of these videos that I did where they ended up being the team that just threw a bunch of sliders on the pitching side, which we'll eventually get into. And then on the hitting side, they were just so passive and everything, which I, I think is like, I, I view them as like the modern organization, but almost to an extreme, you know what I mean? Where it's like, they're doing things that I think most modern sharp coaches would kind of preach which is like, you know, you're probably providing more value and contributing to run production the less you swing, you know, and the sliders are really good. And we know they have the best batter ball outcomes and swing miss rates, so throw them a lot. So I think the Giants did jump out in that respect. And I, and I did find it odd because I think some of the other teams that ended up high on slider slug were also pretty high on fastball slug. So you have some similarities there, which just like they're just a good team. Like they're just slugging everything well. Right. I think this is the Yankees case where – they mash the ball. They hit the ball really hard. They hit the ball in the air really hard. They're one of the best teams in baseball for each of the last couple of seasons at doing that. It hasn't really manifested in terms of the major league team um, from a from a batted ball quality perspective. Also, a byproduct of the fact that they haven't really graduated too many players and given too many guys a shot. But that's a byproduct again of their market and what they do on the major league side. So I think they're one of the best teams in baseball from the minor league side hitting development. But again, the, the it's it's odd to me that they're swinging at sliders. I. I I look at it in two ways. You can look at it one way, which is like the results that we're looking at in the minor leagues, you know, maybe the team is trying to force something from the, from the development side of things, right? So if you're like, okay, we think it's really important at the major league level to hit sliders, then why not at the minor league level swing more at sliders and try to develop your hitters to have a better understanding of that as opposed to not swinging at them, which maybe is the perspective of we don't want you to swing at sliders, so make sure you don't swing at sliders and just swing at fastballs. And then over time, develop your eye such that when you get up to the major leagues and you see better sliders, you're like, okay, my whole minor league career, my four seasons in the minors, four years in the minors, I've been really passive on these sliders. I understand that that's what I'm going to stick to. But I, I don't mind the idea of being a little more aggressive versus them, primarily because we've seen the league push towards sliders so much. And especially yeah. late game, you're seeing probably 50% sliders. So you're going to have to hit that pitch, right? It's not like you can just walk your way. Like I, I, walking is a passive thing, you know, it's passive. So if you're in an active situation where you actually need to score runs actively, say in a playoff game, lightning playoff game, like it's hard to do that through stringing walks and like bad dipping your way to a run or two. Like I, I think most teams would probably prefer to take a little more active of approach you know, almost like what the Rangers did. I think they did a great job of that in the most recent World Series where they perhaps zoned in on a specific part of the zone. So that's kind of the two angles. It's like maybe they're aggressive against them and hitting them well because they think you just have to be able to hit them well at the major league level to succeed as a hitter, which I think is a fair point. You can't just rely on the fastball. But then there's other teams that are really passive versus sliders and aggressive versus fastballs. Um, I think the Twins are like this off the top of my head from remembering what I did. That is like kind of maybe the inverse of the Giants. But both those teams, for the most part, I would put in maybe the top half or around the middle in terms of like, you know, analytics aptitude as an organization. Like the, the Twins are a team that were pretty in on Kinetrax early, which is Marcos motion capture. You know, and the Giants have had guys like Matt Daniels from Driveline and others that I just think have a sharper mind when it comes to developing things. I like Florence Zaidi. You know, they have smart coaches. Andrew Bailey got poached, et cetera. Like, they have smart people there. So it's it's interesting that different smart teams arrive at things differently. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what to make of the strength versus sliders. I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's odd to me that it comes with being a little more passive versus fastballs. Yeah, I think the the Orioles, who, of course, have been extremely successful in their player development process, they were one of the teams that 
that popped out to me as being the inverse, that they swing very, very high rates against fastballs, very low rates against sliders. Um, I mean, I certainly know a lot of guys in the Giants organization I talk to who talk about the importance of hitting hanging sliders, which are one of the most mm. damaged pitches in, in baseball. That's where you see a lot of damage. Um, you mentioned the, the Rangers. I had on um, a few weeks ago, Robert Orr, uh, baseball prospectus who's done you know this yeah, work sure. the, the seeger approach and one yep. thing we talked about was you know is there a level at which you start to become too passive on the fastballs in zone because you know you're leaving value on the table um i think of a guy like marco luciano who's uh looks like he's gonna have a big role this year um he has some end zone contact struggles with sliders and sometimes his passivity is putting him into a lot of strikeout situations where a little more aggressive on fastballs early, maybe gets to that hard contact. Um, I know passivity is good, (laughs) but is there a point where, where you can focus on it a little too much uh, what you're not doing as opposed to what you want to be doing? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of the, more macro data people like Tom Tango, who does great work for MLB, you know, I, I remember seeing this tweet or it was a study or whatever, but that there's been only like three hitters in the history of baseball that have been more productive on their their swings than their takes, if that makes any sense, uh-huh. which is like kind of a wild thing to think. It's like Barry Bonds and I, I don't remember who else was up there, but Barry Bonds obviously is one of them. So that's a fascinating approach where it's like, okay, by that nature, then I would just never swing. You know what I mean? Like, if, especially if you're looking at a guy who's maybe out of zone a lot as a pitcher, I would just stand there and make them throw me something in zone and bet that they probably can't put anything in zone. And then therefore you're on base and then you string this all together. And in some utopian society here, you're walking five times an inning and scoring two runs. You know, and it's just like, I don't necessarily think that's a great approach. Like, I think lineup building and team construction is important. You know, I think you need different kinds of guys to do different things. And this might be a really hard thing to back up in the data. I'd also be curious on like what Orr thought of this because he does some great work. I definitely follow him. And I love that approach, the Seager thing. But I, I think he's right. Like there's there's a point at which the passivity can hurt you as a hitter. Um, but I always think back to also like the development side of things. It's like what what was that guy taught or what is he trying to achieve by that approach, you know? Like there's the old saying that you need like somewhere around a thousand plate appearances at the major at the major league level before we can determine who you are as a hitter, and that's a large sample, right? That's like <laughs> two seasons. So most of the, and I mean, you think about guys who come up and only get small samples here and there. Like he's an up down guy who gets 250 plate appearances a year, and then the next season he gets 250, and it's like, is that half? Is that halfway to stabilization here? It's like I'd argue that that's not the case. I'd argue you need like an almost unbroken streak of say 800 to a thousand plate appearances before we could kind of understand who you are as a hitter. So I do think that to some extent you can be too passive. I just, I, I always wonder, I try to go back to like the player mindset, which I love talking to guys in clubhouses here, I live in Chicago and I'm at Wrigley Field a lot, especially visiting clubhouses because there's obviously new people in there, new faces, new people to talk to. And I, I often think about that. I often think about like, well, what would the players say? It's like, most of the time, I think we see some public analysis that's just like, he's too passive on this, needs to swing more. And it's like, I don't think it's that easy sometimes, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, there's probably some something going on with that guy. Either he was taught over the last four years not to do this, to make himself better, or, you know, he needs to do this in order to improve. And, like, this is just a part of the development process. It's going to take a little longer. So I often try to always bring myself back to the player 
perspective here. And I think that I think that does apply somewhat with the passive mm-hmm. nature of things. Because oftentimes we're talking about this, it's in younger players, which right. I don't I, I can't think off the top of my head of too many like established big league players who were like, no, he's been too passive, you know? Like and maybe Juan Soto, but he's like generational talent to the point where like I don't think you really mess with that, you know? So yeah, I, I think there's some merit to that for sure. So I, I tend to waffle on these topics because I think a lot of the time it's so player dependent. No, I mean, um, I remember there was a piece that Eno Saris did last year, which basically, you know, the data shows that not swinging is the best thing a, a batter can do at the plate. Although, yeah, yeah. you know, from an entertainment perspective, is this really what we want to be, you know, pushing the game towards? Exactly. Yeah. I, I kind of wondered about this all last year without getting us off on too far of a track. Um, with, specifically with the PCL, because all the guys I talked to in the PCL were like, yeah, you just go up there and wait for the pitcher to get himself in trouble because the tight ABS that was smaller than mm. the big leagues um, was hard to pitch to. But I wondered how well that was preparing those guys for then going up to the majors because um, it was it, it was a really big step for guys uh, going from AAA to the majors this year. Yeah, but, that's a great point. I think that I, I think it would have hurt guys because yeah. for the most part, like you're not used to a guy dotting something in a certain spot in the minors, and you're just like, I'm just gonna let him get himself in trouble. And then you <laughs> run into a pitcher in the majors who can spot 95, and you're like, I'm down one two, you right now. You know what I mean? And I, I thought this worked, this worked in triple A, but it's not working now. So I don't know. Well, specifically with not calling the high strike. So it's like, hey, that wasn't a strike in Sacramento. Um anyway, I want to turn to pitching, um, which is the Giants have talked a lot about pitching this offseason. It looks like they are preparing to give a huge burden of innings to their young guys. Uh, if you look at roster resource right now, uh, I think Kyle Harrison, uh, uh, Jordan Hicks, Kyle Harrison, Keaton Wynn, or Tristan Beck are there's two through five pitchers right now. Um, so they are really hanging their hat on their pitcher development. So let's move over to that side. And, and, and again, I'll just open the table to you. When you look at data, what what are you seeing in in what they're doing? Yeah, again, nothing really jumped out in one direction or the other, which is why I don't <laughs> think I really highlighted them. But again, they 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 landed more average. So I think it's almost like you watch these videos and you're like, oh, you need to talk about my team. It's like I I don't think that's a bad thing, you know. Like there's multiple teams that I talked about that I'm like, this is just like you know, like especially in Chicago here. Like obviously don't cover the White Sox and cover the Cubs, but like you hear a lot of White Sox talk on local radio and stuff like that, and. It's, it's funny when they're like, yeah, we did like an internal brief and tried to really dig into what was going wrong with things. And I'm looking at the data and it's like, this is going to take multiple <laughs> years. You know what I mean? Like putting Tony La Russa and your player development guy in a room for 20 minutes is not going to solve this. Like this is like systemic change. So I'm fascinated to follow that team off topic. But anyways, Giants pitching, yeah, around average. And I think that's okay. Like a lot of the forcing metrics were around average in terms of usage, in terms of VLO. I think the thing that jumped out for me was two velocity points. They they use an above average amount of sinkers, mm-hmm. and they had I think the highest sinker velo, and then second highest slider velo, which is interesting. And despite that slider velo being high, they did maintain like a reasonable amount of horizontal break, which I think was important. So that I, that I, I imagine is good. Like I think fundamentally, if you're a team that throws things hard, it's good. You know, there's a couple outliers there that don't throw things super hard, like the Guardians and develop velocity, and kind of made that their bread and butter, but. Again, I think that's a little more outlier. Like you look at a lot of the teams that are throwing things hard. Um, let's see if I can pull this up quickly. But I, I know that the Dodgers are up there. Yeah. I would imagine there's some other teams that you're just like, yeah, okay. Like I think the Reds are up there who are always kind of an underrated pitching team. Um, Twins are probably up there. There's a couple teams that you're just like, yeah, 
Like throwing things hard is good. And the fact that the Giants are hard on sinker usage and slider usage, I think is important. You can get into general philosophy around, do I throw four seams a lot or do I throw sinkers a lot? I think this goes in two ways. You could look at it, I call it from the Mariners. I like comparing the Mariners and Dodgers in this respect, staying on the West Coast here. Dodgers yeah. team, throw a lot of four seam, throw a lot of high vertical four seam, and throw a lot of velo. And like they love building off the four seam. I've talked to people internally about this there as well. If you can, they think, and I've heard this from other coaches too, that like four seam shape adjustments are very hard um, without changing something fundamentally about the mechanics, which is getting into kind of a, a hornet's nest of issues potentially with a guy, especially if he's young. So they will build everything off of four seam. Just give us a good four seam. We'll figure out the change. We'll figure out the slider, et cetera, et cetera. We'll figure out the repertoire. And you've seen with, with some of the guys they've brought up, um, especially on the more modest side, not like the Bobby Millers, but like the Mitch Whites and uh, there's another picture there escaping me. But the Mariners, on the other hand, are like, I just want to throw sliders all the time because they have the best run value. So they throw <laughs> the most sliders. They have the lowest arm slots. They throw a ton of sinkers. They don't throw any four seam. So it's like they're almost working back from like the stuff model, which is like sliders are great, throw a lot of sliders. They're like, perfect. Right. Yeah, we will throw a lot of sliders. And from there, we'll figure everything else out. So it's like those two angles both net reasonable results, mm -hmm. right? Both those rotations are pretty good right now even if the Mariners have built the rotation on philosophy that kind of veers from what they're doing in the minors. So again, it gets into another layer of like, well, is this more reliever based or starter based or do you develop starters different than relievers, et cetera. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think they maybe skew the giants more towards the Mariner side of liking sliders, liking slider velo. And as a result of liking sliders, <laughs> most of the guys that can spin good sliders and get around the ball are those that throw sinkers as opposed to right. those who can ride four seams. So that's kind of what I would say is the main takeaway, but I'd say it's more average to positive for the Giants in terms of in terms of the pitching development. I mean, it does look they had uh, my notes. I have they they had the second highest slider velo uh, behind the Dodgers in the industry. I would guess um, you didn't put this in your in your piece, but if you honed in on splitters, which are a much much rarer pitch, they would be pretty high on that. And in both usage and velo, um, what was Kind of interesting to me is they were the seventh lowest, I think, in terms of four seam usage, but that's not showing up in like uh, higher curveballs or higher change ups. It really is honing on a, a, a kind of sinker slider approach. And if you think about a lot of the guys they have coming up in the in the system, you know, Mason Black, Carson Seymour, um, there's a lot of these sinker slider guys um, and really at a, you know, one of the game's best changeup, and that's Logan Webb. At the major league level, they love sinkers because they love home run suppression, I think, uh, which is why mm -hmm. you've got Alex Cobb and you've got Jordan Hicks, and they just get kind of Kevin Gossman, one guy throwing balls down in the zone after another. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, well, actually, I have a side question to this. I'll get into it in a second. As a, as a way of building starters, um, what do you think of that approach of this sort of this extreme, what we used to think of as sinker slider guys um, as your, your primary attack weapons? I don't mind it. It's, it's, it's one of those things that I think lends itself to platoon splits a bit more, which then introduces the idea of like, well, how good can you get something fading arms side, which Logan Webb has done really well with his changeup. So I, I don't mind it. I think one of the things that I've heard from coaches and stuff, and again, most things in pitching is like, it really depends on the pitcher you're talking about. But if you want to talk like broad strokes, the more you are behind the baseball from a forcing perspective and able to create that ride, 
that generally limits the amount of breaking ball shapes you can go to. Mm-hmm. You think of guys like Tywin Walker and like a Taj Bradley on the Rays. Like these are guys that get behind the ball really well and get like riding four seam. And then as a result of that, like they're kind of limited. Like they don't really supinate and don't get around the ball super well. You generally don't want to go to like a huge curveball um, that's just going to pop off fastball line and not really be too good of an, of an offering from a swing and miss perspective. It, it's fine as like a third pitch, but it's not something that is like a third swing and miss weapon. No, I, I don't mind the idea of like going towards the sinker because you just open up the possibility for like, you know, an in-between slider cutter and then a sweeper off that. And then if you're a sinker guy and you're supening, well, maybe you actually have a reasonable curveball. And then then it's a matter of like, okay, let's figure out something. Like, can you split the ball? Can you split change? Can we get you something going fade on the arm side? So I, I don't mind that approach. It reminds me a bit of like what the Yankees have done with a lot of their guys where like Will Warren, Hayden Wisniewski, who's a Cub, um, even like a Michael King where it's like, mm-hmm. Those guys are fundamentally sinker slider guys, and they figured out how to maybe throw a four seam without a ton of vertical, but they get it up enough and they throw it at a reasonable amount such that it kind of works versus lefties occasionally as like a 10 to 15% pitch. So even some of these sinker guys we're talking about with the Giants, like maybe there is room for like an average to bad four seam, but there's a lot of value in a pitch that is like slightly below average. I've talked to some coaches that always emphasize the mm-hmm. importance of having more pitches you know, and not in, in kind of disagreeing with the fact that more pitches kind of almost get the guy out. So I, I, I don't mind it. I think that that is almost a bit preferred for most organizations. But you'll notice that as I'm talking about this, this runs counter to what I said about the Dodgers, where they like want four seam shape and then we'll build everything off the four seam shape. I just think that they're one of the better organizations at figuring things out like this. And I, and I would bet if you put a lot of these really good four-seam shape guys in other organizations, they just would always just exist as four-seam shape guys and nothing else. Whereas the Giants, or excuse me, the Dodgers have been able to make them into good pitchers, you know? And I, that's probably the main thing that I think is kind of interesting. So I, I don't mind the sinker slider approach. You just got to figure out something to get the other hand in this out, which I think it's back to kind of this like split chain splitter point or right. a good curveball. So there's there's more to do with a guy who's sinker slider, I think, from a from a breadth of repertoire standpoint. Yeah, I remember talking to Kyle Glazer at one point last year, and he had this data that I think the Dodgers had four of the 10 hardest pitching staffs in organized baseball um, in their organization, uh, going right down to the the Rancho Cucamonga group, because they they really do love their fastball velocity. One thing that... Yeah, I'm not surprised. One thing that stuck out in my mind when I was looking this, and and, and there's no way that you can account for it when trying to take the 65,000 foot view um but the giants were a little out on an island last year in terms of pitch counts and innings counts they had most of their starters capped in like the 50 to 60 pitch range deep into july um often guys were going three innings three and a third three three and two thirds um for mo- for like half a year or more uh, almost nobody went beyond five which seems like it would have two fundamental ways of impacting the data you look at one you're incorporating a lot of the furthest guy in the bullpen are just taking up more of the innings the the bullpen guys are taking up more of the innings and the other thing i i wonder about and i I talked to some pitchers about that is when you know you've only got you know 50 or 60 bullets are you going to use that pitch that isn't effective as much or are you going to focus on the weapons you know you can get a guy out on a given night because you know throwing that that you know above below average slider is just another pitch closer to getting taken out of the game so i I, again i don't know how you could look at data and and sort of 
mentally weight them, but do you think that a sort of holistic approach does miss maybe what some percentage of the starters are working on uh, in, in, in the Giants organization? Yeah, it definitely does. And I mean, that gets back to the point of like the Mariners case of what they do in the minor leagues doesn't necessarily line up with like George Kirby and Logan Gilbert right. and some of these other guys who are all forcing fast ride guys with good command and can develop pitches off that and stuff. So there's definitely some thoughts here in terms of like that and missing the forest for the trees or whatever that analogy is a uh, metaphor. But, but yeah, I think, I think that's a great point where I think for the most part, the league is getting a very good understanding that, you know, we command falls off as you throw more and whatever point that is may depend on the pitcher, but say it's like 80 pitches or so we want to keep guys under 80 pitches. Like the Rays do a lot that right. matters. We care about that. And there's a lot of other angles off that where it's like, you know, if you're abbreviating those outings, guys probably throw harder and velocity is really important. We're talking about that with the Dodgers. So it, there's advantages to it from like a game planning standpoint. If we have to cover 1800 innings or whatever in a given season, how are we going to do that? I think we prefer to do that with guys who can command the ball better. So let's not let them go past 80 pitches and throw harder. Let's also not let them go past 50 or 60 because we see velo fall off. And it also allows you to like probably bring up more guys and maybe match them up in certain ways where you don't need a ton of depth if you just have a lot of different pieces. But that can be like a blessing and a curse, right? Like we have a ton of arms, but like those arms are redundant or it's hard to match them up. Or when we go to four guys in a given game, we're looking at, you know, three of them being on, one of them being off, you know? So there's a lot of like balance here in terms of putting this tie together, so to speak, of how you cover innings and how you accept variance, I think, where I think it's really beneficial for a team like the Mariners to have developed like some horses, like Gilbert is getting Gilbert, Kirby, Castillo, you know, Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are both good. They're both young. They're developing. But those first three guys I mentioned, like, they're all covering 180-plus innings. So I, I, I wonder about that. I wonder whether it limits your ability to develop starters. But the Mariners have seemed to struck some gold in terms of developing both at the same time. I think that's probably what other teams would love to do. I just don't know the specifics of how possible it is if you're really kind of focusing on getting guys up quick and having better stuff and not really maybe caring too much about the development on um, you know, other specifics that allowed them to be a true starting pitcher who could cover 180 innings and turn lineups over third time and not care about third time through the order penalty. So, yeah, there's a lot of angles here that you could kind of nitpick. I think there's pros and cons to either of these approaches. I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of uh, getting the warning from Zoom that uh, we're running out of time. But I, I do want you've mentioned a couple of times that the Mariners and also the Indians, that what's happening in the major league level doesn't necessarily reflect what they're focusing on at the minor league level. What can you give us any insight into how that transition actually happens? Is it is it, you know, fortune or luck? Is it they're finding outliers? Is it they're looking at the. You know, even though the Mariners have a ton of guys throwing extreme sliders, they're looking at the pitch data from the fastballs, and then they can tweak that when you get to the majors. Um, I know we know from Logan Webb that the guy he is in the majors was not the guy he was in the minors. He throws completely different pitches. How does that final polishing where you take a guy and change their pitch mix, change their their pitches happen at the major league level? It's a great point, yeah. Uh, the reality is that, <laughs> the better coaches from most organizations are probably in the majors. So you'll run into this with some organizations where you have either the major league staff is doing all the development because the minor league staff isn't good or the inverse where the minor league staff is developing one way. And then when the guys get up to the majors, they're hearing different philosophies. 
this happens in a lot of teams. Not, I wouldn't say a lot of teams. It happens in certain teams. Um, it's probably easy to pick out which teams based on the ones that don't have minor league depth or can't develop people uh, pitching or hitting, you know? So the Guardians are odd, again, because they just they are willing to take lower velocity guys and develop them. So it's hard to kind of say, I think, any like it's hard to kind of push in any direction on them specifically, you know, where it's like, I'm not entirely sure where how you as an organization can replicate what they do. The best teams are the ones that I think are really well integrated where you have like, like the Dodgers, honestly, where it's the major league flows beautifully into the minor league. And I think it flows back the other way beautifully as well, where it's just, they have really good coaches in the minors. They preach one philosophy and it, it's consistent through the minor leagues. And then you get up to the majors and you're polished off as opposed to some orgs where you get up to the majors and you struggle. And they're like, yeah, sorry, man, we just have better coaches up here and we have a slightly different philosophy than what they're pushing down in the minors. So I, a lot of this stuff is hard to kind of put your finger on the pulse of, so to speak, I think. But but yeah, for the most part, in terms of the disconnect between why like the minor leagues wouldn't – or what well, I'm seeing in the state, it wouldn't match up with what's happening on the starting pitching side. I'm not entirely sure. I think – I talked to a Mariner person about this, this pitching video I did, and they thought – the answer that I think you get from teams a lot is just, well, we don't develop everyone the same, you know? Right. And I think what I was trying to get at with this video was the fact that despite that there is philosophies that ring true so like if any any gms asked about say this video or this data i think that they would just be like yeah i mean it's always individualized it's always individualized but i don't think every team actually executes an individualized plan properly so the data was this data was trying to get at, at like what do you do well or like, you're saying you do everything individualized etc but like what is the result of that individualization you know and that's where you get into like sinker versus forcing usage and big sliders and velocity, et cetera. So, so that's, it's hard to parse out like how exactly, you know, it's hard to parse out the difference I think between certain organizations in that respect, because they're never going to tell you, you kind of almost have to back into it. And then you have to kind of read the tea leaves probably on players that leave that organization and go to other orgs that are willing to then tell you about the prior organization. So I don't know if I have a great answer there. I just think it comes down to integration between departments and, I think by listening to people in the industry and reading good reporters, you'd probably be able to back into like what teams do certain things well on the minor league side. And then why does that not translate to the major league side? So a bit of like a cat or mouse game, but um, I think we've kind of, I think the industry's kind of nailed the teams that are good at this and the teams that are bad. It's just, it's probably easier for us as like armchair analysts to fix it than to actually go in there and fix it. You know what I mean? It's hard to go in and say all those coaches that, you know, have old school thoughts and aren't willing to adapt you know, and you don't really think provide value, go in and fire them. You know, it's like, that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think many people would. And as you clearly see in some organizations, they don't. So. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, the Giants are embarking on a really fascinating experiment, I think this year, because it does look like they are about to kind of go whole hog with letting this wave of young pitchers take down I don't know, 600 innings, maybe at the major leagues at the exact same time that, a lot of their pitching development talent has been poached. You talk about the White Sox, you know, Ethan Katz came from the Giants. Brian Bannister is now there as a Giants pitching quarter. Andrew Bailey is in, in Boston. So you've now got an entirely different top-level coaching staff taking on this talent that has matriculated up through the system. Um, I think they did a smart thing hiring Garvin Alston up from Sacramento to be in the bullpen in San Francisco. So there's some some uh, some transition there. I don't know. I guess uh, this is a weird question to ask, but uh, my last question I'll give you. If a year yeah. from now, this experiment was wildly successful and, you know, Kyle Harrison, Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, uh, Carson Winston, Mason Black, you know, 
carried a, a season for a competitive team. Um, is it going to change how you and maybe the industry thinks about what the Giants are doing? Um, if they come out at the end of this saying, yep, we knew it and mm -hmm. we were right. That's a great question. My my gut reaction is no, because again, we're looking at such a high level here that I, I you know what they fundamentally do on the minor leagues from this data I'm looking at is maybe slightly different than what they do in results from some of these minor league pitchers that they've gotten results from. So it's an interesting question. I, <laughs> I like it. It's a great question. I just don't know if I have a great answer for you, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think it would really change too much unless we saw underlying changes, you know, in terms of usage or velocity or anything, you know? And the other thing too is like, this, I made this video about, I, I don't necessarily know what's good. I was just pointing out what's kind of different <laughs> and unique about organizations. So like, maybe it's actually like the, the Orioles are a team that didn't jump out on like anything I did ever, but their results are incredible, you know? So it's like at some point, maybe this would become the Orioles situation where they don't really jump out on anything they do, but they seem to individualize really well and they have very good results. So if you get the contributions we're talking about out of Harrison and Black and Wisenhunt, et cetera, like then, then, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll give them credit. I just think it maybe takes a bit of the time. Like, it didn't happen immediately with the Orioles. Right. I think I tweeted something back in, like, 2019. No, maybe 2021 that I was like, I think this is the year of the Orioles. And I was early, you know? So, like, maybe it, it, it takes some time, I think, for the industry to catch on to who is improving and doing well. And perhaps that'll be the case with the Giants if they can actually succeed with this heavy, young workload plan for their pitchers. Yeah, you made a great point in that video that every team says they individualize their development, but not every team does it well because uh, it's hard to do. It takes a lot of time and a lot of people. Um, okay, I'm, I'm less than a minute. I have to say goodbye. I, I have to tell everybody to go to your YouTube video page. It really is chock full of great information. Lance, I can't thank you enough for, for spending yeah. time to come talk with me. This has been really fun. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have anything people need to be looking forward that you're about to pop up? Check out my sub stack. Uh, I do a lot of short form video on YouTube. Those are the, those are the key things I'm focusing on this year. So thanks. Just, just a fantastic view into, into development. I'm not sure if I'm going to have an episode next week. I'm going to be traveling, but I'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we're almost to spring training. Bye-bye. Thanks Lance. Thanks for having me, man.